Good morning, everybody. It's here in person. Good morning, everybody online. We're glad you guys could all join us today. Happy New Year. It's 2021. It's a brand new start. So let's think positively from here on out. There's a lot of power in positive thinking. And I don't personally ascribe to, quote, the power of positive thinking, but I have to admit that there are a lot of benefits that can be experienced through a positive mindset. In fact, Mayo Clinic did a study on the health benefits of just thinking positively, and they found some surprising things. You know, those who have a good outlook on life tend to experience reduced levels of stress. They tend to experience the, the symptoms and the hardships of depression a little less in their life. And, and we would expect that, I think, those psychological benefits, given that we're talking about our mind. But what was really surprising about this study was the physiological benefits of a positive outlook. They found that those with a, a positive mindset uh, were less susceptible to the common cold and even had extended life expectancies. That's pretty cool, I think. Just with, with having a certain outlook on life, you can have physiological changes in your body. The mind's a powerful thing. But that's not the only benefit, you know, health-wise to positive thinking. I'm not aware of any scientific studies on this, but there's a lot of anecdotal evidence that would suggest that our mindset has a lot of impact on the level of satisfaction we experience in life. For example, if you're always telling yourself that I'm poor, I don't have enough, I'm lacking this, look at what everybody else has, look at what I don't have, you're setting yourself up to experience discontent and dissatisfaction in life. I think that makes sense, right? The other end of the spectrum is also true, though. I heard this story from an immigrant family that moved to the United States. They would tell themselves things to, to formulate this mindset of abundance that helped them to starve off um, 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 that, that negativity and that draining, just lacking feeling in their lives. They would say things like, instead of, you know, I have to pay these bills, they would say, I get to pay these bills because I used all of these great utilities that other people don't have access to. Now, we always tell ourselves, I got to pay these bills and that stinks. But that it kind of puts a different spin on it, right? We do get to use some great utilities that other people in the world don't have access to. They would tell themselves things like, look at all the stuff I could buy with my income instead of focusing on the things that they couldn't afford. They wouldn't always buy that stuff, but just knowing they could made them feel rich. It made them feel like their lives were full, even though they lacked what a lot of their neighbors had in their own lives. And here's what I don't think they realized about their situation. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But this wasn't just some like mental game they had to play. And this wasn't the power of positive thinking. Their lives genuinely were very full. They just had cultivated a mindset that allowed them to recognize that and see it. And your life and my life, they are genuinely very full lives. We may not always feel that way. Or it may not always be full to the extent that we expect or hope for, but nonetheless, our lives are genuinely very full because God has been very generous to each and every one of us in this room. And that's at the heart of this new series that we're starting today called Filled. Over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at God as provider. 
And we're going to be looking at the ways that he provides, uh, the tools that he uses to provide in our lives, why we sometimes overlook or miss how he has provided in our lives. We're looking at the generous character of who he is and how we experience him every day in our genuinely full lives. And to lead us through this discovery, we're going to be looking at a small Old Testament book called Ruth. It's only four chapters long. But this morning, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you to flip over to the book of Ruth. It's Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Like I said, four chapters, so you might flip past it. If you don't have your Bible with you, you can always follow along on the screens to the side or download the FCC Mammoth app to your mobile device. Just click the Sunday button in the bottom right-hand corner, and you'll find a lot of different tools that you can use today and throughout the week to get the most out of our experience together. Right now, you probably want to click the, Sunday, or the Sermon Notes button. that has our passage pulled up along with our notes for you to follow along with and engage with throughout the week. So Ruth, there's a couple of characters in this story that we're going to look at each week, and each one of them has something different to teach us about the way God provides and how he fills our lives. Today, we're going to focus on a woman named Naomi. And that Naomi's contribution to this story or this book of Ruth really raises the question of why is God's provision so easy to overlook? I mean, earlier I said that all of our lives were genuinely full. And when you heard that, maybe your reaction was, you know, Jordan, my life is pretty good. I mean, it's okay, but I, I don't know if I would call it full necessarily. And if that's where your thinking is, then you may have fallen into this same mindset that we see Naomi practice at the beginning of her story. What she shows us is that it is so easy to overlook God's provision when life is pleasant. And her story really is a pleasant one in the beginning. In fact, her name in Hebrew means pleasant. So let's take a look at this pleasant woman and her pleasant beginnings. This is Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons was Mahalan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah, the other Ruth. And after they'd lived there about ten years, Mahalan and Kilian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Now, admittedly, things get real dark for Naomi here, okay? And you might be saying, I thought you said this was a pleasant story. It really does start out that way when we take a step back and look at how her situation begins. Naomi was married to a man named Elimelech. She had a husband, and that's a really big deal. Not only would she have had that bond and that companionship in life, but husbands in this ancient culture were the primary source of livelihood for women in the Old Testament. If you were a woman, your domain, culturally speaking, was the home. You kept the home, you raised the children. A man's domain, culturally speaking, was to make money or to bring in food, was to supply a home, was to give the provisions necessary for life. Naomi had that. Not all women in the Old Testament time period had husbands to provide for them, and those women were forced to make very difficult choices at times. Naomi was spared that because of her husband. She also had children, two of them. And children, universally throughout the Old Testament, are spoken of as blessings from the hand of God. This was a really great thing. But she didn't have just any children. She had two sons. And sons were especially valuable. Because that meant when her husband passed away someday, as husbands inevitably did, because let's face it, guys, we're a lot dumber than ladies. We die a lot earlier. 
when the husband inevitably passed away, she would have two sons to take her into her home or into their home to provide for her, to care for her, to clothe her, to give her shelter, to give her food. This was the provision she would need in the future. I mean, just to put it kind of crudely, sons were kind of the 401k for women in this ancient culture. And Naomi had two. So she has a husband, she has sons, she has that familial love and companionship. She has provision and security in the present. She has security waiting for her in the future. Naomi's life is pretty good. It's very full. And you might hear that and expect that this fine Israelite woman would rejoice and would recognize how God had filled her life and and live faithfully in obedience to him as a result of that. That would be a reasonable expectation, but you'd be very wrong. Now, you know, Naomi, she's not some terrible, terrible person. I don't want to say that. But there are plenty of clues in this passage that show us she's probably not overly committed to the Lord. The very first line has two clues. The first one says this story takes place in the days of the judges. If you've ever read the book of Judges, that should be a big red flag. Because nobody in this time period was overly concerned with being faithful to God. They went through this cycle where the people would forsake God and worship the idols of the land and God would allow them to be overtaken as punishment. And then they would repent and they would call out to God to send them a savior. And he would raise up a person called a judge. And that person was supposed to be the best of the best of the people in the land. But even those people oftentimes were terrible people. The best of the best were not that good. This just wasn't a really overly concerned time when it comes to faithfulness to the Lord. Second clue is that first line as well. There's a famine in the land. And that's more than just a shortage of food. Way back in in Exodus, Leviticus, and and Deuteronomy, God is teaching the Israelites this covenant. He says, you'll be faithful to me and only to me, and if you're faithful to that agreement, I will bless you. But if you break that covenant, there will be curses that come. And one of those curses was plague or famine. This was a divine curse that Israel was under because they had been unfaithful to the Lord, which was very common in the days of Judges. Together, what that says is Naomi is a product of her culture, probably not overly concerned with following the Lord faithfully. And we might say, well, all that's just circumstantial. And then we get to this bit about her sons who marry Moabite women. And that was a huge no-no according to the laws of ancient Israel. Israelite men were only to marry Israelite women because women from other nations inevitably meant gods from other nations would come into the land of Israel and idolatry would take root and blossom. That's exactly what happens a little later in the days of King Solomon. And yet Naomi, as head of household with her husband gone, does not seem overly concerned with her sons marrying Moabites. She could have protested. She could have prostalled or, or stalled the nuptials. She doesn't. She gives her blessing. These two men marry Moabites. She doesn't really seem concerned with breaking the law of God. There's a few other clues that we're going to pass over in this conversation in the middle part of the chapter, but you get the point. Here's a woman whose life is very, very full. God has blessed her immensely, and yet she's not overly committed to following him. And we might look at that and say, well, that is really just a shame. How could she do that such such a thing? That shouldn't shock us because it still happens today, like all the time. I had this professor in college, I was in a class with him, and we were talking about prayer. And in this class conversation where, you know, all these different things are being said, he said something that really stood out to me, though. He said, people are most faithful and tend to be most fervent in prayer in two different scenarios. One, something has gone tragically wrong in their life. Or two, 
they've started a new romantic relationship. And that may seem like those two things are worlds apart, but in both situations, there is something that is going to have a huge impact on your life that you really don't have a lot of power or control over. And so we have this tendency to seek out the one who does. It kind of makes sense. And in my career, as I've watched people and I've worked with people, I've noticed that tends to hold true. We are most committed to God when there is something really, really huge happening in our lives, or there's something really bad or something really great. But all the other stuff, when life is just pretty pleasant, there's this strong tendency in people to kind of coast. We just kind of go with the flow. We don't really have question or reason to, to pause and to question why are things so great? Why are things so bad? We, we don't have reason to, to just stop and recognize where all of this pleasantness came from. We can kind of take God for granted in the pleasant times. Just to give a look at, at what it kind of looks like in another context, take a look at this short video. As life was great. It was very pleasant. He would wake up, dishes were done, table was clean, he'd come home, laundry's done, it's on his bed. He had no reason to stop and question, why are all of these great things happening in my life? And he just took his lady for granted. Sometimes we can fall into that same trap when it comes to God and his generosity in our lives. I mean, you take our girl Naomi, for instance. Her life was full. It was pleasant. She had this husband. She never stopped to ask, where did he come from? I mean, did she like scoop up the dirt and form it with her hands and breathe the breath of life into him? No. No, God had created this man. He had brought them together. This was a blessing. This was a gift. She had provision in the land of Moab. Yeah, she had to live as an alien. It may not have been ideal circumstances, but all of her friends, her family, the people she grew up with back in Bethlehem, her hometown, none of them had that security, but she did. How fortunate for her. She had these children, two sons, no less. Not every woman had that blessing. In fact, her own daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, we read a little bit later at the end of the story, we get the impression that those two women were barren. 
Now, why should Naomi have this blessing of two children in her life when these other two young women do not? What was so special about Naomi? Was she so smart? Was she so capable? Was she so faithful? We know that wasn't the case. No, the, res- the reality was her life was immensely full, not because of anything she had done, but simply because God had blessed her and was generous to her. But in the pleasantness, there's just this ease with which we can overlook God's work in our lives and all around us. So if your life is present, pleasant right now, of course your life is pleasant, you're here. If your life is pleasant right now, I would encourage you to take a step back and ask, why? Why is my life so full? Why do I live in a land where I have the inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of whatever makes me happy? Why am I here instead of one of these other nations? Why do I live in the age and the time period in which scientific advancement has made life expectancy and quality of life the highest it has ever been in the history of the human race? Why today? Why do I I live in a land where I can work and use my energies to serve or to volunteer or to earn a paycheck and, and get that satisfaction at the end of the day when many, many people in this land do not have that same benefit? Why is my life filled with people that I can love and be loved by? Why do I have a home that I can go to? Why do I have sustenance that will fill my belly? Why do I have warmth on a cold day? Why do I have access to clean, safe drinking water with something as easy as a twist of a tap when there are millions of people in this world that do not have that luxury? What is it about me that has filled my life with such good? Is it because I'm so smart or because I'm so good looking or because I'm so brilliant or because I've just cracked the code? The answer to all of that is probably not. Probably this is a gift that we've experienced that has filled our lives and has been given to us for no other reason than God is just generous. Don't fall into the trap of overlooking his kindness just because life is pleasant. There's another danger we gotta guard against though the other end of the spectrum, and Naomi shows us that as well. It's really easy to question God's provision when life is bitter. We, we continue in her story, and what we would find, we're going to skip over this reading just for the sake of time, we'd find that the famine in Israel ends. Now, she has nobody here in Moab. She has no husband. She has no sons. She doesn't really know anybody because she's a foreigner and an alien, and people just weren't real hospitable always. And so we have this woman who doesn't really have anybody, but now the doors have opened back up. The opportunity is here in her homeland where she has friends and family and neighbors and so on. So she decides to go back home. And as she does so, she dismisses her two daughters-in-law. She says, I love you both very dearly. And she blesses them in the name of the Lord. So she does seem to have some indication of who God is and, and what he's like. But they don't go. Well, eventually Orpah goes. But Ruth, that's another story. Ruth commits to her mother-in-law so tenaciously, so fiercely, I can't really do it justice. So we're just going to read what she has to say. This is Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. So Ruth is this fiercely loyal woman who commits herself to her mother-in-law for no other reason than she just loves Naomi. And I want you to keep that in the back of your mind, that that Ruth is a loyal friend and a companion to Naomi. That's going to be an important detail we need later on. But let's keep reading Naomi's story. Like I said, sometimes life gets bitter. Naomi shows us that. Verse 19, so the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? 
Don't call me Naomi. Now remember, her name means pleasant. Don't call me pleasant, she told them. Call me Mara. And that name means bitter. Call me bitter because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned to Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. So Naomi comes to town and she tells people, don't call me Naomi anymore. Don't call me pleasant. You call me bitter because God has made my life bitter. He took my man. He took my kids. He took my security. He took my future. My life used to be full. It used to be good, but God took all that away and now it's just empty and it's all his fault. She's real peach. But there's two observations we need to make about Naomi or Mara or whatever she wants to be called here. First is that she blames God entirely for her circumstances. She's lost everything. It's obviously God's fault. It couldn't be just natural causes. It couldn't be the result of sinful tendencies that we've already seen demonstrated by this family. That couldn't be it. It couldn't be just the byproduct of somebody else's irresponsibility. No, this, this has got to be God's fault. He's the one that did this to me. Now, there's a lot that could and should and that I really want and even wrote down to say about that. But all of that is kind of a distraction to our main point this morning. Suffice it to say, God did not empty Naomi's life. Neither has God emptied our lives in the bitter seasons. Sometimes junk just happens and life is bitter. That's the way the cookie crumbles. Quite the opposite of what Naomi perceives, her life is actually very full still. In fact, God has not emptied it. He has filled it and provided even in this bitter season. She just can't see it. And there's a couple of details you need to look at to see just how full her life really is. We, we didn't read it. We passed over it. But when we said that the famine ended in Israel, that specifically is attributed to God. God ended the famine in Israel. Just as this door in Moab was closing where she knew nobody and she would live destitute, the door of, of possibility opened in her homeland with people she knew. What providential timing, right? And more providential timing. We get to the end of our passage. We read that Naomi and Ruth, they show up just as the barley harvest is beginning. Now we don't cook with a lot of barley in our culture, but in Israelites diets, that was like the staple food. That's what they would make bread out of. And these little biscuits, I don't know what they tasted like, but they're kind of green like barley. And, but they ate these things all the time. This was the food to have. And they're showing up at the time of the year where there is the most food available for them to gather and to glean and secure some livelihood for themselves. So again, the door closes here where no food would be available to them and the door opens up for them just as there is the most provision possible for these two women to gather and make use of. That is not a coincidence. In fact, next week we're going to talk about this story and how there really are no coincidences in the book of Ruth. There is only provision. Just to put this into perspective, how fortunate Naomi really is, I want you to imagine that you're in your vehicle, you're driving down the interstate, for some reason, you've got a faulty gas gauge. Turns out you're out of gas and your engine sputters and dies. But lucky you, you were breaking the law and just flying down the highway. So you just keep going because of the momentum. And in fact, the momentum carries you to the next off-ramp. And so you take it. 
and you don't see any traffic coming in either direction, so you blow through that stop sign, and you continue to be carried by that momentum for a while until you see a Casey sign up here on the corner, and the momentum carries you all the way up to the Casey's into the parking lot, and you pull up as the car stops moving, the momentum runs out just as you are positioned in front of the gas tank, and the tank's even on the right side of the vehicle, because that would be the ultimate bitter pill, right? But no, you're right, right in the right spot. You got exactly to where you needed to be. What a coincidence, right? What are the chances of that happening? Slim to none. We all know that. But that's what happened to Naomi. The doors opened, the stars aligned, the harvest came in just as she was coming into town. God has provided for her. He continues to fill her life with the sustenance and the provision that she needs. But his provision doesn't even stop at the material. Do you remember Ruth we spoke about earlier? You remember how fiercely loyal she is to Naomi, the love that she has for her mother-in-law? It makes no sense. She really shouldn't be in this story anymore. She should have gone back to Moab like her other sister-in-law. She should have married another man. She should have carved out a life for herself. She should have secured some sustenance and a future for herself. But she threw all of that away so that she could cleave to this elderly woman who she would outlive by a number of years in a strange land where she knew nobody, where she had no opportunities to acquire work, where the law forbid men from marrying her so she didn't have an opportunity to marry. This was a very difficult situation that Ruth has chosen to put herself in, but she chooses it because she is so loyal to her mother-in-law. She loves we can't really live without food. We all know that. But life is not worth living without someone to love and be loved by. And that's what God has provided Naomi through Ruth. A companion. A friend. Someone to share life with, which is just as valuable as the food itself. God has filled Naomi's life. She may not have a husband, she may not have children, but she has Ruth. And there's no way Naomi could have known this, but as the story continues, Ruth is going to be God's instrument for filling Naomi's life in the future even fuller than it was in the past. So God's not only provided for today, he has provided for tomorrow as well. Naomi's life is not empty. It is incredibly full. God continues to provide in numerous ways all around her. She just can't see it because of the bitterness of life. And that's a trap that is so easy for all of us to fall into. My son Levi, he's a good example of this. He's four. We went to Target at the beginning of December. And I know we shouldn't have because of COVID, but we were all going to go insane if we didn't get out of the house. So we went to Target and we wanted to have just kind of a fun little day. And so Levi and I, we went to the, the, the Starbucks there in Target and we split a Frappuccino and he even got a cake pop, which is more sugar than we ever give him in one sitting. So this was quite the day. And then we went over to the little cheapy section at Target and he saw this little gold Christmas tree for a dollar and he wanted to get it so he could decorate his room for, for Christmas time. And, and so we got the little tree. And then he wanted to go to the toy section. He wanted to pick out a new toy. And we said, buddy, we can't do that today. It's too close to Christmas. Santa Claus is going to come. We got to wait. He didn't like that. He started to pout. He pouted all the way out to the car. He pouted all the way as we drove home. He pouted as he walked back into the house. And I said, Levi, did you have a good time on your trip today? He said, no. We said, well, why not? He said, I didn't get anything. What do you mean you didn't get anything? 
Now, it's true, we didn't give him a new toy. We didn't fill his life in the way that he had hoped. But that didn't mean he hadn't been given something. He had a frappuccino. He had a cake pop. He had more empty calories in that sugar than he had had in the past week. He got a gold little Christmas tree like he wanted. His life was still full. He had been given a lot. He just couldn't see it because of the bitterness that filled his life. And we can do the same thing just on a much larger scale. When we lose that job, when the the relationship falls apart, when the opportunity disappears, when when that thing breaks down, when we have to say goodbye, when, when life enters the bitter seasons of life, there's this temptation that we sometimes face to wallow in the bitterness to the point of self-pity. And in reality, we become so absorbed with ourselves that we can't see our provider all around us and all of the good that he still fills our lives with through opportunities, through security, through future, through the people that love us and that we love. Our lives are still so incredibly full. It just becomes easy to question or overlook when life gets bitter. So why do we do this? Why is it so easy to overlook God's provision? What Naomi shows us is that the answer has everything to do with what we spoke about at the beginning of our time together. It's all about our mindset. You see, oftentimes we overlook God's generosity because we are so focused on the provision itself rather than the provider We're focused on the stuff, we're focused on the people, we're focused on the opportunity, on the situation, on the circumstances. We are so focused on this that we miss the one who has filled our lives with all of this stuff to begin with. We get the priorities backwards. It's kind of like binoculars in a way. My son Benji, he's he's one. We got him a little pair of toy binoculars for Christmas. And I was trying to show him how to use it. You know, you hold the binoculars up to your face. And when, when your lenses are lined up correctly, everything looks bigger. But he kept wanting to flip them around, look at them backwards, so that everything looked really far away and tiny. And I thought, that's a really good illustration of how we sometimes come to God when it comes to provision. Sometimes we want to look at the provision first. We get it backwards. We look at the stuff, the people, the opportunities. And and when God is secondary, when he's not our primary focus or object of worship or attention, just like those binoculars, everything just looks so much smaller than it really is. God looks so tiny when provision is our first and foremost focus. In the pleasant times, we can just rejoice in how good things are. Everything's going my way. I got that new job. This relationship's going great. My marriage is healthy. My kids are perfect. Everything's fantastic. I got this new stuff. Oh, my life is so good. Oh, and God's there too. He's so small because the provision is our number one focus. When life is bitter, everything's going wrong. I don't have enough. I lost that job. My girlfriend left. My kids are terrible. My dog died. My life's sadder than a country song. And we focus on the provision. Oh yeah, and God, he's not really helping me with any of it either. He's so small because we have chosen to focus first and foremost on the material. But when we flip the binoculars around, we look at things through the correct perspective, the correct mindset, where God is the object of our worship and our affection first and foremost, just like those binoculars, everything that we see through that lens just looks a lot bigger, including his provision. In the pleasant seasons of life, when God is the first and foremost object of my attention and focus, it just makes all of the generosity that he gives me so much fuller. Because, yeah, I've got all this good stuff, everything's going right in my life, but I also have all this mediocre stuff and all the stuff in general that fills my life, from the breath of my lungs to the steps that I take to the energy that courses through my veins. Everything in my life is actually just a gift from him. 
He is the great provider. And that becomes so much easier to see and to recognize and to worship him for when he is the first and foremost object of our affection. And in the bitter times of life, when life frankly stinks and it hurts and I am disappointed and I am frustrated and I have lost and I've had to say goodbye, and in those moments where it actually is very bitter, if God is still the first and foremost object of my affection, I am able to see he still provides. Yes, this stinks, but I still have people that love me and that I love. I still have opportunities today and tomorrow. I still have the blessed hope of Jesus in my life where I await a day where bitterness is done, where this life that ebbs away actually continues to course on, where I'm not met with a grave, but I'm met with an embrace, where I don't have guilt and shame, but I have freedom and I have joy. I have an incredible gift that God has given me that I cannot afford to overlook even when life is bitter. When we get the right perspective, when he is the foremost object of our affection, it puts everything into perspective and it becomes so much easier to see just how full our lives really are. And there's no shortcut for cultivating this perspective. It only comes through this dedicated day in, day out practice of choosing to focus on him. Having our minds renewed, transformed, And to that point, here's our action point for our sermon this morning. I would encourage each of us to take part in this weekly reading plan that we're starting tomorrow. I spoke about it a little bit last week. I want to talk about it more today. We're starting this opportunity where every Monday we'll post on Facebook, on our email, every outlet, communication outlet that we have, what our Bible reading plan for the week is. We're using the YouVersion Bible app. It's a free app for iPhone, Android. You can open it on your web browser. So everybody should have access to it. Every week we will post the the study we're doing. Just click the link. It will take you to that study. You can say, start this plan. If you have have it on your mobile device, it can send you push notifications to remind you, hey, don't forget to do your Bible reading. And we all want to be doing this together, taking the time every week to set our minds first and foremost on our provider, on the one who fills our lives with so much good, who fills our eternities with possibility and a future. That's something that we all can do, and I would encourage you to take that step and to participate in this reading plan with us, because it's the only way that I'm aware of, of cultivating a mind that sees him first and foremost. If you want to recognize just how full your life really is, take the time to focus on him today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for how you have filled today and yesterday, how you will fill tomorrow You have filled it with opportunity and potential. You have filled our lungs with breath. You have filled our minds with genius of various varieties. Lord, you have filled our lives with so much. Right now, we just want to pause and recognize how you have filled it with hope because of Christ. We do have bitter seasons in life. And we have pleasant seasons as well. In the middle of both of them, Father, we we cling to Jesus as one who provides the good and who provides hope in the bitter. It's through his blood and through his work that we're able to come to you and recognize your generosity and experience the fullness of your blessing. Lord, you are so good. And as we start off on a new year, it's my hope and my prayer that we would pause just to recognize who you are in our lives, that you are the God who fills and the God who provides. Thank you for your kindness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.